Welcome to the Spartan Underground Show, your ultimate resource for everything Spartan race training. Discover what the best SGX coaches are doing to help their clients boost performance, dominate obstacles, and get through each race burpee-free. Here is your host, Mike Diebler. All right, everybody, welcome to episode 15 of the Spartan Underground SGX Show. I'm your host, Coach Mike Diebler. Thanks so much for joining me today. If you have any questions or want to get a hold of me, feel free to email me at info at spartanunderground.com. If you haven't given us a review yet on iTunes, please let me know how we're doing. Uh, if you participated in November November's giveaway and gave us a review or liked us on Facebook or Instagram, you will be contacted if you are one of the lucky winners. This week, you can find all of the episode's show notes at www.spartanunderground.com slash episode dash 15. Uh, to get started today, I wanted to share a quick story. Um, I'm a little bummed actually, so I'm going to share my, my experience with you. I was in Atlanta this past weekend and I finished my second trifecta of the year. And actually that is, I'm not bummed about that. I was really excited to get through two trifectas this year, finished at a great course in Atlanta at the super um, not super hilly, enough hills, uh, but it was it, just a good overall course, freezing cold water, but, you know, standard obstacles, a couple new ones thrown in there. So it was a good time. Um, what I'm bummed about is my goal this year on top of finishing two trifectas was to finish them burpee free. And I was five for five, not missing any obstacles and came into this one feeling pretty good, but I missed the spear and I'm super bummed about it. I guess I can't complain. I was still five for six. Well, actually six for seven. I did a, an extra sprint in there as well. Um, but it just shows you that you you can't get too confident in some of these obstacles. I, I have been feeling really good about the spear. And I had a good throw. I just was offline and, and was a little bit low on the target. So, uh, you know, stuff happens. Did my burpees. So 30 burpees out of six races. I really can't complain, but um, I can't stay down for too long, have a LA this weekend, so I'm just going to have to redeem myself and nail that spear, and it actually was a big help. This episode in our SGX interview, I'm with Coach Josh Graves from Fitness on Fire in Orange County, California, and this guy can just... I mean, light a fire under your butt. He is an awesome motivator. And we we talk a lot about mindset in this episode and motivation. So he actually gives some great strategies on what happens if you miss an obstacle. And he talks about some of the most common reasons you will fail an obstacle. And it's it's not necessarily that you don't have the physical ability to do it. We talk a lot about the mental side of this. Uh, he gets into his experience working with the Olympic Committee and share some of his insight on what he took away from working with some of the best athletes in the world and how you can apply some of those things. Uh, we get into three beliefs you must have in your training, as well as two simple strategies, yet incredibly effective for switching your mindset to get you in the right place. So we, we talk that and plus a whole lot more in this week's SGX interview. Also in this show, we are going to uh, review re running economy in our research of the week, our research review. And um, we're going to talk about what running economy is, why you need to be training it, and most importantly, the most practical aspect, how you can improve your running economy. Uh, we also have SGX coach and dietitian 
Anne LaRue back on, and she's going to talk about five reasons why everybody needs to be tracking their nutrition, not just if you're trying to lose weight, but anybody that's trying to optimize their health and performance uh, is going to want to listen into this week's uh, talk with Coach Anne LaRue. And finally, I have an announcement that I'm super excited about. We are introducing our first official sponsor of the Underground SGX show, and that is Mobilitas. And if you've never heard of Mobilitas, they are your new favorite mobility tools. And we've talked a ton about mobility on previous podcasts with Coach Bonnie Spartan, and we talked about some research on the, on the subject. And if you're not currently doing some type of self-myofascial release, you're really not maximizing your training. So hopefully you're already doing some type of myofascial release therapy. But um, if not, or, or even if you are, you definitely want to check out this company. They make some great high-quality myofascial release tools. I, I personally use them. Uh, they work incredibly well. And to, um, to welcome them to the show, they're actually doing a free giveaway. Their, their, goal, their goal, their mission is to make some of the best mobility tools on earth and they want you guys to try it out and see if they're if they're on track for that goal. So they're going to give away a free mobility kit and in this you'll get a peanut, a foam roller, uh, a sphere and all comes in a cool carrying case. So if you want to participate all you have to do to enter is I want you to post your favorite mobility exercise. It could be some type of foam rolling exercise. It could be some type of stretching or other dynamic mobility drill. Um, whatever you like to do, I want you to post it on Facebook and on Instagram and just use the hashtag Spartan Underground and you'll automatically be entered in this month's giveaway and we will announce it just in time for Christmas. So uh, put that, put those pictures up there. I'd love to see what you guys are doing to improve your mobility and you might be our lucky winner for this sweet new mobility kit. All right. Well, I hope you guys enjoy this week's show. We have some great insight to help you maximize your training. All right, in this week's research review, I want to talk about running economy. Now, I've talked about running economy briefly on previous episodes, but if you're trying to improve endurance performance, which if you're training for a Spartan race or any other type of obstacle course race or even 5Ks, 10Ks, and, and marathons, you obviously want to improve your endurance performance and your endurance capabilities. Now, there's three ways that you can do this. Now, obviously, training is, is getting you better, and when you when you stress the body with, with running or other endurance type exercise, your body will go through certain adaptations. And there's three adaptations that we're looking for in order to improve endurance performance. And that's improvements in your VO2 max, your lactate threshold, and your running economy. So just real briefly, without getting too deep in any of these topics, your VO2 max is basically how much oxygen that you can uptake and and actually use for energy. So the higher your VO2 max, the more oxygen you're gonna take in, and the better your endurance uh, capability is going to be. Your lactate threshold, so as we're exercising, specifically when we're doing uh, exercise that is using sugar for energy through glycolysis, uh, a byproduct of that energy production system is going to be lactate. And this isn't a problem when your body can handle that and you can actually use lactate and convert it into energy um, 
through different systems. And we won't get too much into physiology, but lactic is not a bad thing unless it actually starts to build up. And when you have more and more lactate building up in your blood, that's our, our lactate threshold when we see this increase in, in lactate. And when that starts to happen, you can only maintain that intensity for so long, your body is going to have to start to, to slow down um, because of all of that buildup there. So the higher your lactate threshold, it basically means the harder you can push yourself for the longer. All right, so we want to increase lactate threshold. And then the third thing is running economy and or exercise economy. Here we're specifically talking about running. And think of this as the amount of energy used at a, at a given intensity. So you can have two people, let's say they're just running on a treadmill, both at six miles per hour. And you have one person who's been training for a long time and you have another person that maybe they're just getting started. So the person that's been training a long time is going to be way more efficient. Right? Their, their running mechanics are probably going to be a little bit better, um, and they're, they're better able, able to handle that stress of running, where the, the new person is going to be using a lot more energy to do the same amount of work. So obviously, a great adaptation with training is you get more efficient, and that's essentially what running economy is. And that's what I wanted to look in here because we can specifically train for each of these three things. And I'll definitely come back on with future episodes and talk more about VO2 max and lactate threshold. But I wanted to touch on running economy here. And in 2015, the Journal of Sports Medicine put out a review, a research review uh, titled Strategies to Improve Running Economy. So I know a, a super creative title there, but at least it explains exactly what, what they were looking for. And they basically, in this review, looked at all the different ways that you can improve running economy because there's many ways that you can do it. And two of the biggest ways that we often hear about is resistance training and plyometric training. Um, so hopefully, if you're listening to this episode, you already do some type of resistance training. But if not, this is obviously a critical portion of your, your program. And yes, lifting weights can help you run better. And that's a mistake that many runners make. Those that are training for distance running like marathons and half marathons, a lot of times they only focus on running and they don't do any resistance training, maybe out of fear that they're going to bulk up or, or maybe even get hurt. When in fact, a proper resistance training program is going to reduce injury and you're going to improve your running performance. So it's, it's a critical por portion that we, we need to pay attention to. And with, with resistance training and plyometric training, we see an improvement in neuromuscular characteristics. And all that means is that the brain and the muscles are working more efficiently. They're, they're working together properly. Um, when you lift something heavy, you need to recruit more muscle fibers to do that work. When you lift something light, you don't need to lift at quite as much. So the more muscle fibers that we can recruit, the less overall energy we have to expend. So that's why resistance training and plyometric training or any power training is going to be incredibly beneficial for things like running economy. Uh, another thing that is going to improve running economy is flexibility and mobility. Now this, this can actually go both ways. Um, we've talked a lot uh, about mobility and flexibility on previous podcasts, and this is kind of the, the drawback to doing like static stretching before, right before uh, a workout or a run. When you stretch a muscle and try and lengthen it, you actually reduce the elastic capability of that muscle. So think of the muscle as like a rubber band. And the more and the more you stretch it out, it starts to lose that elastic uh, component to the muscle fibers. 
And that actually helps us when we're, when we're running or we're even jumping and things like that. It's like a spring. So you're actually stretching that muscle and you're, you're relying more on the stretch of the muscle and not necessarily the contraction of the muscle. Um, so it's, it's actually an automatic reflex that happens. As soon as the muscle stretch, stretch, it contracts, just like when you pull a rubber band back and let go. So this is actually going to save some energy when you, when you use this stretching component of the muscle. And when you stretch right before a run, you, in, you do improve mobility, but you actually weaken this response. So stretching, static stretching right before a workout may not be the best uh, warm-up routine that you can do. And we've, again, talked about that in previous episodes. Um, but mobility in general is a great way to improve running economy. So it is something that we constantly want to be working on maximizing your mobility because you have more range of motion or you get into more optimal range of motion to make movement more efficient, right? If you can't move properly, you're going to have to waste energy in order to do a movement that you should be doing with ease. Um, so, so resistance training, plyometric training, flexibility are all great ways to improve running economy. And then the last thing I wanted to get into was uphill sprinting. And there was actually an, another study that looked at this exact thing back in 2013. This is from the International Journal of Sports Physiology and Performance. And what they did in this study was look at different types of uphill interval training sprints to see what type of effect it had on, on many things, but specifically they were looking at running economy here. And they uh, did six weeks of training. They broke the runners up into different groups, uh, five groups, where they essentially just, they all did uphill running. They just did different lengths of, of time. So we had uh, our first group, which was the most intense. They were working out at velocities of 120% uh, of their VO2 max, so, which basically just means they're, they're sprinting very, very hard, but for a very short amount of time. And this is a progressive program. So like in week one, they're doing 12 sprints uh, for eight seconds, maximal effort, um, with six times recovery, so a one to six work to rest ratio. So if they were going as hard as they can for eight seconds, they were resting for 48 seconds. Um, all the way up into week six, they built up to 24 intervals um, at 12 seconds. So anywhere from eight to 12 seconds, 12 to 24 sprints at a time. Our next group, um, they were anywhere from eight to 16 sprints at around 30 to 45 seconds. So a little bit longer, still really intense. They were using about a one to three ratio, work to rest ratio here. And each group got longer and longer. So our next group, uh, three, they were doing five to nine intervals of about two to two and a half minutes. And then all the way to our last group, they were doing uh, two to three sprints of about 10 to 25 minutes. So longer sprints. So obviously the intensity was gonna be much lower. And with this study, what they found was, first of all, all groups saw an improvement, um, at least a small improvement, in running economy. But they found that the most intense group was the, the most significant improvements in running economy, which is pretty cool. And uh, some possible reasons behind that were because of it kind of attacked different things. It, it led to biomechanical changes. So they actually saw in, in that first group only saw improvements in stride rate. So they were taking faster, faster steps, which cadence we've talked about again in, in previous episodes. So biomechanically, it, it changed running form, which probably made their runs more efficient. And the other really interesting 
thing that we saw with especially this group one that was the most intense was they saw increases in power development where they looked at counter movement squat jumps and squat jumps and uh, sprinting times and, and things like that where they saw this significant increase in power that the lower body could develop, um, which is probably why, like we just talked about, this specific type of interval was so good for improving running economies. So it it's again getting into the neuromuscular development system where you're actually improving you're you're recruiting more muscles to do the work so when you have to sprint hard and you have to sprint uphill you need a lot of muscle fibers to activate when you're just going for a, a jog or even a faster jog you don't necessarily need as many motor units or as as many muscle fibers to uh, become active so on these high intensity sprints we saw more uh, motor units more muscle fibers active which led to improvements in efficiency and running economy, right? So they had more muscles active, so they didn't need as much energy from each one, overall improving the efficiency. So if you're not doing some type of interval training or uphill sprinting, this is a great program to incorporate. Now, I didn't mention in this study, they were doing these workouts two days a week, and that's probably maximal you want to do for something as this intense. Um, you don't want to be training high intensity all the time and lead to overtraining and injury. So make sure you incorporate some lower intensity work with this and your resistance training. But one to two days a week, try some of those high intensity intervals and see how that improves your running performance. Hey, what's up, Spartans? SGX coach and registered dietitian Anne LaRue here to talk to you a little bit about why everyone should be using some sort of nutrition tracker. Uh, my favorite happens to be my fitness pal because it's what I know and it's nice and easy and I have a barcode scanner, um, but there are plenty of other ones out there. One of the things I personally like about my fitness pal is that you can connect with friends, share your diaries, keep each other accountable. And it's one of the tools I use with my long distance clients to be able to check in and see what they're eating um, in real time. So it's able, I'm able to go in and if I have a client that I call every Tuesday, I can easily be looking at all of their information um, and talking to them about it over the phone and seeing everything that they do each and every day. So it's, it's a great tool. But here's five reasons why everybody should be using some sort of nutrition tracker. And it blows my mind the amount of people that aren't or used to, but they don't anymore, right? So number one is you don't know what you don't know. So a lot of the times, just last night actually, for example, I was at my fire department training and I was talking with a guy who's been going to the gym, recently started using a heart rate monitor, uh, so trying to up his game there, trying to get in racquetball for cardio four times a week. He does strength training, but he's a big guy. He's, he's pretty thick. He's pretty, pretty beefy, and he can't seem to figure out why he can't lose weight, right? So I did the first thing with him, like I always do, which is I always ask him, I always ask people first about their workouts. What do you do? How many days a week? What's the intensity, right? Because everybody knows that. They're all excited to talk about it. They're feeling good about themselves. They know all the information. I do this for an hour and then I do this and I usually do, you know, then I do strength training and it's upper body and then two days a week I do lower body. Everyone's all detailed, which is awesome. Then I go into, all right, let's talk about what you're eating. Do you track what you eat? And the answer 
nine and a half times out of 10 is, oh no, I did for a little bit, but, right? So then I'll say, okay, well, how do you feel like you're doing with this? So I might say, how do you feel like you're doing with your overall calorie intake? Do you know how many calories that you should be taking in each day? And a lot of times people will say, oh yeah, I had that figured out for me, you know, last year or a couple of years ago. All right, so how are you doing with that number? And they don't know, right? Um, or I'll say, how, well, how are you doing on your carbohydrate intake? If you're not feeling energized for your cardio, what do you do there? You know, oh, I don't know. I try to eat, you know, I, I, I don't eat a lot of pasta or breads or things like that, right? Not having a clue about the fact that so many other foods um, contain carbohydrates, which they would know if they track it, right? Or protein intake. They'll say, well, I'm trying to do, eat a lot of protein. Well, what does a lot mean? You know, how many grams individualized to you, how many grams do you need? And then how many are you actually eating? And then above and beyond that is not only how many are you eating, but at what time? Or how, you know, are you eating too many at once and then not enough later? Or how are they spread out? These are a lot of questions and things to think about that if you're not tracking your food intake, you don't know. And you don't know that you don't know until somebody asks you. And that's one of the things... Um, that all of those questions could be answered if you just upped that bar and really focused on taking a moment out after each meal or in the morning when you're planning your day. This is when I like to do it. When I'm packing my lunch, I add that additional step of when I put something in my lunchbox, I add it to my fitness pal. That way I can know that by two in the afternoon when I eat my last snack that I packed, oh my goodness, I'm under by what I should have by 300 calories, and I actually planned a long run this afternoon. I need to change that around, right? So there's the other reason is number two, a reason why you need to be using MyFitnessPal is you need to be coming, keeping up with the demands of your daily activities. If you're going to have a heavy cardio day, how are you adjusting for that? You know, how many calories are you actually burning and did you take in enough to supply for that? And was it the right ratio of carbs and protein to replenish your reduced glycogen storage as well as to help build and repair the muscle, right? So you have to keep it in check to know, is my food fueling my workouts? Or if I'm trying to lose weight and fuel my workouts, is the balance there to be able to meet those two goals? That's a huge piece that you honestly and truly can't do if you're not tracking your food, right? The third reason is tracking your food intake helps you track trends. For example, I had a client who would have the same pattern each week that Monday mornings, just like many people, he was feeling good. He was ready to start his week on track. He was eating right. He was focusing on lots of fruits and veggies and getting his protein in, getting his workouts in and his runs. But by come Thursday, Friday, he was feeling a lot more tired, sluggish, and he, he equated it to, well, it's the end of the week, I've worked a lot, I've been working out, I'm tired. It is what it is. But does it have to be what it is? When we looked at starting to track his food again, getting back on track with that, we realized we were able to look at his trends of macronutrient intake. Specifically, I focused on carbohydrates because he told me that his runs felt harder at the end of the week. And what we noticed is 
he was only getting 30% of his calories from carbohydrates all throughout the week, and he was running. So no wonder by Thursday, Friday, he didn't have energy to bust out a 5 or a 10K because he didn't have the fuel in his body already, and he wasn't eating enough fuel throughout his day to be able to support that after-work Friday afternoon or evening run. Then it was no wonder that by come Friday night and Saturday, he was eating complete junk food, which I'm not opposed to certain foods making their way into your diet every so often. I think it's a healthy thing to do. But every weekend, he was binging on pizza and Chinese and, you know, um, like donuts or going and getting a griddle or something like that. And he equated it to lack of willpower and he falls off on the weekends. Well, perhaps that's some of it, but perhaps the other piece was that your body by Friday night, Saturday morning was screaming for carbohydrates and we could have found better ways to put them in. Yes, but we also could have stayed ahead of that demand and made your willpower a little bit stronger come Friday night. So if you don't use a fitness tracker or nutrition tracker of some sort, you're not able to track those trends and see why is this happening, right? Uh, A fourth reason, you want to balance those macronutrients. Uh, Some people are able to identify that all of a sudden they look at their macronutrients that they've been taking in as they've been tracking, and they get all of their um, calories from a lot of carbohydrates that they didn't realize, or they are really low in fats, right? Healthy fats. And all of a sudden they're wondering why they're hungry all the time. They never feel satisfied. Well, if you're barely taking in any fats because you've tried to keep a nice low fat diet, you may be missing out on those foods that help keep you satisfied, take longer to digest. And there's a lot of good heart healthy mood boosting benefits to having those healthy fats. Um, But if you're not eating enough fats, yeah, you probably are going to feel hungry all the time, hungrier than you should because your foods are digesting so quickly. Fats, for example, take anywhere from four to six plus hours to digest. Imagine how much fuller you could feel if you just added some healthy fats to your diet. Let's say you added, you know, a handful of cashews to that morning yogurt and apple, or let's say you added um, some some sliced up slivered almonds onto your salad at lunch, different ways to get these healthy fats in that'll keep you fuller longer. Um, Again, going back to my last example about not having enough carbohydrates. So if your macronutrients aren't balanced, you may feel things, fatigue, hunger, um, that you wouldn't, you would otherwise not feel, but it's hard to pinpoint that problem. If you're not tracking your food, if you are tracking your foods, then it's as simple as pulling up a screen and seeing it, right? And then the last reason is tracking those ultra-important but often under-emphasized under, um, vitamins and minerals. And when I think about athletes specifically, I think about things like potassium, right, that helps lower our heart rate, which is all oh so important during those nice runs, um, getting in enough potassium because many people often don't, getting in too much sodium, um, which can make it harder for our body to work, right? Make it feel like our, uh, our efforts are harder on our cardio. It can cause the body to hold on to excess water, cause us to feel bloated. 
or things like iron, especially for the females, like one of the last podcasts that we talked about saying that iron intake was low, so red cell blood cell production was low, uh, blood volume is low, and then your heart has to work harder to pump, right? So we're feeling fatigue. A, fi a nutrition tracker can easily show you where you're taking in way too much of one thing like sodium or that you're consistently taking in too little potassium and iron, right? That's another part to that tracking of the trends. So all great reasons why using a nutrition tracker can be that last little piece of you trying to answer the questions of why can't I reach my goal? Is it going to be that magic bullet? Of course not. There is no one way to fix every problem, but you may find that tracking these things um, could be that missing link as far as you being able to answer a question or somebody being able to help you answer the question of why can't you get where you want to be. And if you've tracked your food previously, like a year or two ago and you were doing well, odds are for many of us, we are not where we were two years ago. So yeah, you tracked it then and maybe it helped, but track it again now. And don't just track it for three days. I want you to track it for two, three weeks, or even beyond. I honestly track mine almost religiously because if I go two or three days without tracking, yeah, I know that I generally took in this much, generally, but I don't know specifically. And when we're not holding ourselves accountable and tracking, it's very easy for those extra calories to kind of slip in, or if we're not paying attention, it's also very easy on the other end of the spectrum for us not to be taking in as much as we need. Maybe we are up, you know, doing a little uptick in our workouts, increasing the intensity, and throwing in some extra runs. What you ate a week ago is not going to be able to support your uptick of, of activity that you're doing this week. And you want to get the biggest bang for your buck out of that. So make sure that you're eating to support that. And you can't do that wholeheartedly, unless you're using a nutrition tracker. Um, I'd love to connect with people more to help people out with using my, my fitness pal or any other type of nutrition tracker, because there are so many aspects that people don't realize and don't utilize. Um, these, these trackers are only as good as what you put in for information. So the more specific you are, the more you'll know. The more generic you are, the less helpful it's going to be. But I would love, this is like a passion of mine to be able to work with people on this, talk people through. I do nice, low-cost, weekly distance fit, uh, nutrition tracking using my fitness pal. I have someone in Vermont that I'm working with right now that we connect once a week, but I, I keep track of her foods all throughout. So if anybody's interested in that, we can definitely get you off on the right feet, even, even just for a month of tracking to get you... Um, get you hit the, hit the ground running and make sure that you're understanding what you're doing. Uh, other than that, definitely, uh, keep it here on, on the podcast for even more information on nutrition and all of Mike's awesome, awesome topics and cool people he has on board. Aru. All right. In today's SGX interview, I am with SGX coach Josh Graves, uh, and I'm going to read his bio real quick, and then we're going to get right into the interview. 
Uh, Josh is the co-owner of a personal training studio in Irvine, California called Fitness on Fire with his wife, Heidi. Not only does Fitness on Fire offer a variety of personal training services, but Fitness on Fire's community has multiple competition teams and put over 200 athletes into competition. Things like Spartan races, kettlebell competitions, Ragnar races, bodybuilding shows, and much more. In his career, Josh has ran multiple chain gyms, hired and developed hundreds of personal trainers, and gotten to work with the 2010 and 2012 U.S. Olympic Committee, as well as traveled to the Olympic Games in 2010 and 2012, uh, which we're going to get into that. As a, as a coach, Josh is a motivator. He believes he was put on this earth to uplift others, and you're going to see that right away as we start getting into this interview. Josh believes that your mindset will always dictate your performance, and that's what we're going to be talking about, and Josh is here to help get your mind right. So, Coach Graves, how you doing today? Man, what up, what up, what up, Mike? How you doing? Uh, I'm doing awesome. Thank you so much for joining us today. I know you are going to provide us a ton of content and just blow people away, so so thankful that you were able to make it on with me. Absolutely. The pleasure's all mine, man. I'm fired up, baby. All right. Well, well let's start with the fire. Uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, your studio, what you do, and kind of how you got into Spartan Race training. Yeah, for sure. So uh, Fitness on Fire is my wife in my studio in Irvine, California. Um, we offer a variety of training services, but really everything about our gym is about community, man. We really believe that uh, training as a part of a team makes people better. And so... Um, that's kind of how Spartan came up. We had a couple competition teams. We had uh, bodybuilding teams that go out. We've got um, 5K and Ragnar teams and kettlebell competition teams. And we basically tell the members, if you find something you want to do, we'll rally some other people to do it with you so you don't have to go alone. And uh, that's how it all started. One of our members about two years ago uh, decided she wanted to do a Spartan. And so uh, we did, We told her We told her that she had to sign up for it. That's That's – that's a big one, and we're going to talk about that with mindset a little bit later. But um, once she decided to sign up for it, then we, uh, as coaches, signed up for it with her. And then uh, the rest is history, man. I think I'm 18 Spartans down now or something like that, and uh, just loving the OCR game. That, that's so cool. Yeah, and, and community is such a big thing, and I think people forget forget about that, and they want to – sometimes uh, you, know, it, it, you need to let the ego go and ask for help and – why you would do anything on your own is kind of crazy now where it's like find people around you that have a similar interest and you know whether it's spartan races or whatever but spartan races it's easy because uh, people are everywhere so it's easy to find that community and get help and get that support and it, it looks like you guys are just doing an awesome job with that yeah for sure um i mean at fitness on fire we believe three things that we talk about a lot uh number one the coaches matter we believe that a good coach can do a lot for somebody um, we believe that personal training should make people feel good, and we believe that being a part of a team makes a difference for somebody. And those are three things we just talk about all the time, and our entire environment has been created around um, literally the community and having a place that people can plug into, feel good at, um, and also just get uh, kind of get their, their cup refilled, per se, or um, feel good every day, man. And I think that the community does that for us. The coaches don't do that here. Uh, the coaches are the leaders of it. But a lot of the times when the members come in, everybody knows everybody. It's a rule that we have here at the gym. It's the only rule of fitness on fire. Everybody loves everybody. We never start anything until everybody knows everybody. So every class, every seminar, every uh, presentation, anything we do at the gym, everybody does a formal introduction, shakes some hands, gets to know somebody new. And um, it's created a really safe place for people to grow. 
That, that's awesome. And that goes such a long way with, um, with somebody who is, a lot of people are intimidated when they step into a gym or a studio. And to have that wel- welcoming, I'm sure just helps people just get right into it and sees immediate progress where some people, you know, they go to a gym, they're intimidated, they might walk on the treadmill and then they want to leave because they feel uncomfortable. <laughs> so that's, that's, that's awesome that you provide that there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's it's been a blessing. I think the people uplift me as much as I uplift them and uh, the community and all that stuff. So it's good. All right, awesome. And if anybody's seen anything you've done online, any videos, they're gonna see you're you're an awesome motivator and and a great coach. Um, and and we're gonna get into mindset and and talk a ton about that. But I, I do want to um, back up a little bit and just talk about some things that you've you've done and accomplished yourself. And you've actually been able to work with the U.S. Olympic Committee. Do you mind? Just talking about that a little bit. Yeah, for sure. Um, actually, in 2010 and 2012, uh, I'd worked for 24 Hour Fitness, which was a sponsor for the Olympic team. Mm-hmm. And uh, during those times, they had selected a few leaders to actually go out and get a chance to shadow the strength conditioning coaches there, um, oversee operations for a facility that uh, 24 Hour Fitness outfitted for the athletes um, in London. Um, in 2010, we outfitted a facility for the NBC. Um, crew, because I don't know if you're familiar. NBC is the like the spot, like they run the Olympic Games on television. Yeah, and um, essentially the crew out there that goes out there is humongous. There's a million of them, and so um, what NBC did in 2010 is they built a private gym for all the NBC employees, and uh, we got to train. Like I, I got to train. I actually I don't know if I'm supposed to mention names, but uh, <laughs> I got to train a lot of like TV personalities from the NBC uh, crew. Um, and then in 2010, it was neat because we got a lot of like backstage passes, tickets. We had a uh, tickets to the USA house. So we got to meet a lot of the athletes, but in 2012, when I got reselected to go, um, we actually ran the high performance training center for the athletes. So what they did is they picked about 16 of us leaders and we went out there and we ran a facility for the athletes. It was brand new, just built for the athletes. So they had a place to train when they were in London. And so, uh, it was neat. We didn't do much with the athletes ourselves. I mean, at this point, they're four years into their training. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the week of the Olympics, nothing that we were going to do training them was going to make a difference. It was more about just uh, providing them anything they needed. It was, I was their water boy, the towel boy, whatever I was proud of. It is cool. That's um, awesome. That, that, that's an really honor, th- man, to be able to uh, partake in that experience there. Um, and I'm sure you got you you uh, got a great experience and learn some things that you can, I'm sure, apply to any of your clients now. You know, the biggest thing for us there was um, that we got to shadow the strength conditioning coaches for every single session, every single practice. So everything from their dynamic warm-ups to the way they spoke with the athletes before and after practice, um, the way they spoke to athletes when athletes were struggling, they talked through some of the athletes that were recovering from an injury. And imagine this situation, right? Imagine, imagine training for three and a half years, um, getting ready for this one event, right? Your whole life is dedicated for the last three and a half, four years. And just a couple of months before the event's about to take place, you suffer an injury. Four years in preparation for this one event. And your hope in your recovery is that along the like two weeks leading up to the games, that those two weeks of recovery are gonna be enough that when you step back onto your event for the first time, it's on the main stage. Right. What, like what, what, a, what a place these athletes have to be able to get into. And, um, 
the darkness they have to fight through and all those type of things. And so, again, seeing how these coaches uh, motivate and keep people going in those kind of situations was neat. Also, obviously, the, the physical side of it, the actual science side of it, seeing what they did to help these athletes improve and still move, um, the, anti, the anti-gravity treadmills and some of the cool stuff, the toys they had. But really, I, what I got out of that experience more than anything else was um, it was really seeing what the best in the world do differently from a mindset standpoint than everybody else. And that's something that I've really been able to take with me. And I kind of ask myself that question a lot is, uh, what's it take to be the best in the world mentally? That, that, that is such a cool thing. And um, I think with, uh, with training and, and for trainers and coaches, we need that balance. Uh, it's, it's an art and science to training, right? Where, yeah, you need to know your anatomy, physiology, and understand how the body works and, and how we're going to adapt with specific training methods. But in the end, how am I going to transfer that knowledge into practical information that people will actually do, right? Yeah, we all know how to eat healthier and, and we need to move more, but why do so many people not do it? And a lot of it is because of that mindset. So to have a skill like that is going to be just crucial. So let, let's get into that a little bit. What are some things that you learned that the average Jane or Joe could use to help think of themselves as making themselves the best that they could possibly be? You know, great question, Mike. I think uh, probably two things specifically. Uh, and it, the first one, man, as cheesy as it is, it puts a big smile on my face. Uh, but I tell my athletes this so often, uh, you can if you believe you can. Mm-hmm. That's it. Um, it's so simple. Um, it's so simple. But especially in this obstacle, uh, this obstacle racing realm, that people come up to things they've never seen before. Um, people come up to things that look intimidating, that look scary. And so the first thing I think that goes through a lot of people's mind is who am I to be able to accomplish something like this? Why I'm going to be the one person of all the Spartan races that falls off the top of the cargo net. Like there's, there's these weird thoughts that start to creep into people's minds. And a lot of the times it's just very simply rooted around the fact that they have a limiting belief that they cannot do it. And I, I think that the one thing that we really teach our athletes here and it's, it's stupid, but it's not, it works. It's not stupid. I apologize. It, it works. Um, but before they start an obstacle, I tell them to tell themselves that they can. It's very simple. Mike, before you climb that wall, I want you to tell yourself you can. Yeah. And I, my athletes literally will sit there, look at the wall, say, I can climb this wall. I can climb this rope. I'm going to get the multi-rig for the first time. I'm going to hit this spear throw. And it's, it's crazy, but there's all kinds of studies that have been done on athletes that um, close their eyes. They get hooked up to all these neurosensors. And as they close their eyes and visualize running their event, the muscles that they're going to use in their event actually fire, even if they're sitting in a chair, just thinking about it, the power of the mind to tell us we can or cannot do something will absolutely dictate whether or not we can or can't, whether we can or cannot do something. That's, that's awesome. I, I am a big believer in that and visualization and I was an athlete in college and I remember uh, I was a, a high jumper and sitting in a track meet and, you know, waiting around and you're, you're among your competitors and, you know, a lot of times you become friendly with them, but still they're competitors. And I remember like the, the years that I was most successful were the years before the event where I could put that game face on and look at my competitors and be like, I can beat this person. I can beat this person. You know, there's obviously uh, cocky and confident. There's that fine line there. But the, the meets where I just knew I was going to win 
you know, I wish I could say I won every single meet, but I would have a good performance. And that's ultimately all that mattered, whether I won or came in whatever. If it was a good performance for me, I was happy. And there were other times where maybe I had an injury I was dealing with and I wasn't as confident. And now it's like, man, I was starting to think about what their bests were. Like, you know what? That guy can jump higher than me. So he's probably going to beat me today. And none of that should matter because all that matters is that day and what you can do there. So it, it is amazing what the mind can do for you. Absolutely. That's a really, really, uh, really good point. I like the way you put that. You start thinking about their best um, instead of thinking about your best. That's cool. I mean, that's a really yeah. good way to look at that. All right. Uh, you know, to be honest with you, Mike, we train a lot of people for OCR. And the majority of the ones who consistently fail at obstacles are absolutely physically capable of succeeding at these obstacles. Every time I've got, I've got, I've got a few athletes right now that are struggling with some of these obstacles, the rope climb and some of these things. And they're some of my strongest pull-up people in the gym. They're some of my strongest, uh, they're some of my strongest and fastest and most. Uh, it's just the confidence when they get into something new, they don't believe that they can yet. And then it's funny because um, I've seen people lose races off of failing an obstacle. I've seen it where I fall off an obstacle and all of a sudden I don't belong to be here. So every other obstacle from the rest of the way on into that race is just shot. So I did this last uh, this last part in the Sacramento Super that just uh, passed two weekends ago. And I ran with one of my uh, longest standing clients, Susie. Uh, Susie's 60 years old. Uh, she's trained with me since about 2008. So she's been training for eight years. Um, Susie's an incredible um, fitness uh, – what's the word I'm looking for here? Susie lives – yeah, fitness enthusiast, man. She lives it. She breathes it every day. She trains six days a week. She trains with multiple coaches. She um, she really just lives – she lives it. She believes it. And when it came to this whole Spartan thing, um, the whole Spartan thing, this was her first year with Spartan. She did her first trifecta this year, just finished two weekends ago. Um and it, it was crazy. It's the first place I've ever seen her get beat by something that was physical. And it was at the specifically at the Pala Beast the, um, in September. Mm -hmm. That race was just brutal, man. Um, not only did it shut her legs down with cramping situations, some other things, but once she missed the first obstacle that she attempted, it was like her head, her whole body language changed, her posture changed. Um, it was. It, it, it's like she lost the race and we were only a quarter of the way through. Mm -hmm. And then now imagine going the other 10 miles, knowing that you're not going to complete a single obstacle. It's so hard to get out of that space. Right. But then on the other end of it, when we did the Sacramento, uh, the Sacramento super, they put the monkey bars, monkey bars, like the third or fourth obstacle in the race, which is mm -hmm. rare. Mm -hmm. Normally you see the, the tougher obstacles towards the back half of the race. Um, so we were a little nervous about it. You know, we've worked on monkey bars, but here we are, race day, the race jitters, all this stuff. She gets up there. Um, she's like, it's so far, Josh. I don't I don't think I don't think I got it. Like, sis, you got this, dude. You believe it? You can if you believe you can. And I was like, tell yourself you can. So she tells herself she can. And uh, she gets a little momentum on her swing, gets the first reach. And the first reach was like up immediately. It went from the, uh, the bar you can reach to the high bar. Mm -hmm. So she reaches, gets the high bar, gets her second hand on the high bar. And then just flies through the monkey bars. Nice. Just kills it, right? After that, the race, it was just, it was done. Every obstacle, it, she's a different Susie. Um, the, the, or the cramping situation, I believe the cramp, when people cramp, I do think that's partially like a shock thing. 
with the races themselves. I think it's like a nerves, a jitters thing. It's like a nervous system issue. It's like you're you're telling your body, I don't really want to do this. I'm so scared. I'm so scared that your body's like, okay, fine. I'll shut your legs down then. and so um i like i said i saw her confidence lift once she just believed that she could and her whole body just performed on it like 110 percent of a different level than it did the first time that's awesome yeah it's it's amazing what one failed obstacle can can do to you and i I remember in that power race um in the beast the spear throw is one of the last ones and i was hurting when i got to that and when i first stepped up to it all i was thinking about was like i I can't do burpees right now. Like I just left it all out there. I I do not want to do burpees. And then I had to stop for a second and just think, don't think about burpees. I'm going to think about just throwing this spear right through that target, you know, and just, and just focus on that one throw. And then I hit it and then, you know, luckily got to move on. But, um, so unfortunately, you know, we are going to fail obstacles at some point. It's, I wish I can say everybody I work with is never going to fail. Um, but do you have some strategies if you do happen to fail one, especially early on in the race? How, how do I overcome that? And how do I get through and, and forget about it? You know, it's a great question. Um, gosh, that is a great question. There's a lot of people that teach a lot of strategies for things like this. Um, like Tony Robbins talks about like neuro-linguistic programming. He talks about the idea of um, trying to reframe your thoughts and reframe like, so for example, he has these things he calls power moves. Um, power moves are something that I personally do. And every time I teach them to people, people think I'm nuts. So, um, that's okay. <laughs> I'm that weird guy. But, um, literally I have a series of movements that I do that gets me in it. I learned this in sales specifically that, um, you still there with me, Mike? Yep. Okay. Sorry. I learned this when I did sales specifically, cause I used to take like a, a sales presentation after sales presentation after sales presentation. When I was early in my career. And, um, I learned that like, if I missed one sale, it was like, I would miss four sales Mm -hmm. and it was like something changed about the way I was presenting. I was just down. Like my energy would change. I would say the exact same things, but the smile I was smiling with was like a fake smile. It was just different. So I'd have to go into the break room. I'd have to snap out of it. Mm -hmm. And I do this thing, which, you know, works for me and not suggesting that this power move works for everybody, but they do talk about motion drives emotion, that if you can get your yourself moving or feeling a certain way, um, that you can reframe your thinking. So something I'll do is I'll stand up. I'm doing it right now. I stand up. I jump up and down, bringing my knees to my chest, what's also known as like a tuck jump. Mm-hmm. So I do a tuck jump, and then I swing my arms back and forth a couple of times. <laughs> and even talking to you right now, I just got super fired up. Like right. <laughs> I got a little, like jittery things going on in my body. Um so there, I think there's a lot of strategies that kind of just snap out of it. Um, Todd Durkin is a um, – uh, I'm in a part of Todd Durkin's mastermind group. Uh, and Todd Durkin has this thing he teaches with his wristbands. He has people that wear these wristbands. He says, you got to get your mind right. And what he does, he has them snap their wristbands. Mm-hmm. And it's just meant to signify to the body to get out of wherever you're at right now and get back – get your mind right. Get back in the game. And awesome. so I think something around those lines, I do think the physiological side of it, getting moving – and just doing something that changes your state. If you put your head down and you, man, all of a sudden, yeah, your your energy's terrible. That is that is gonna change now. Yeah, almost almost like um, you know, just like we're literally forgetting about it. Like fake it till you make it. Like just pretend you just made the obstacle. How would you run away from it? And you know, what would your body language look like? And uh, all those things, and just kind of almost pretend that 
nothing happened and hopefully that that'll pick up or, or, or just doing some type of movement that makes you feel better. Um, sometimes I, I, I just thought of the analogy. So like with golf, like I'm a terrible golfer, uh, I still like to do it, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm just not good at all. And it's just not something that I work on, but I, I enjoy getting out there with friends and, and doing it. But if I have that one good hit, that one good shot, whether it's one drive that went actually went straight, or maybe I chipped it in or a long putt. And all of a sudden the day was awesome. I forgot about yeah, every other ball I lost, <laughs> any missed swings or, or whatever. And all I'm going to do is focus on that one good thing. And, and keeps you coming back, right? Yeah. Definitely. And I think obstacle race can be the same thing, right? You can find it. You, even if you failed every obstacle, but you finish the race, like that's a win, man. Like there's, there's, there's going to be some obstacles that um, some people are going to have to just practice and prepare for. Um, my wife's a good example on the multi-rig. Um, Heidi's done uh, almost as many Spartans as I've done at this point. But um, for her first four Spartans she did, for being one of the strongest women I've ever seen, she could not get through the multi-rig. And um, we worked at it, and we worked at it, and we worked at it. And you should see her now, man, like pull-ups on the balls, like the, uh, the grip slings and the ropes, and she can go back and forth on the multi-rig. She's crazy strong. Um, but some of that stuff just takes practice and repetition. So failing an obstacle isn't your identity. It just lets you know, hey, I got something to still work on. If you were perfect from the beginning when you first started racing, racing would be really boring. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, so awesome take point. your losses, man, you know, suck those things up. And then on the wins, celebrate those victories and, um, you know, be proud of yourself for even showing up and then just uh, just try to have as much fun as you can with it. Yeah. And I, I think that's the important thing, too, that I we, we talk a lot about a lot on the podcast is about fun. And sometimes we forget about that because we get scared, we get afraid or we think about failing. And it's most people are doing these races because they're fun. They're challenging, not necessarily to win it or anything like that, but um, if you can always remember that one reason why you're doing this, sometimes that'll help improve that mindset and remember, Hey, if you did fail an obstacle, it's just an opportunity to get better. Now you know what to work on and, you know, learn from it as best you can. Hey, you're spot on. And you asked me about mindset at the beginning. And I told you there's two things. The first thing I told you is that you can, if you believe you can. And the second part I was going to talk about was going to be understanding why you're doing what you're doing, starting with why. So you just hit on that, Mike, you know, hit that nail on the head. Um, I think that when you go into these races, these races can be a, a multitude of things for people. It could be a physical race and just for something to do on the weekend. Um, it could be, we had a lady here that overcome lupus and she wanted to prove to herself how strong she could be. So she wanted to do the one thing that we do here at the gym that scares her and that's Spartan racing. And she was able to complete her first Spartan last year. Um, it can be uh, – we have a gentleman with cerebral palsy here who has a lack of function on his right side um, that wanted to see how much his limits really could – how much of his limits were physical and how much of his limits were mental. And so he took that out on the course to find out, and he found out that he's capable of more things than he ever imagined, right? So I think that when you do have a strong enough why – I think that that fuels you through anything in life, any adversity and all that other stuff. So I do think that people uh, should go out on these courses to, to learn about themselves, uh, to find out, like, again, ask yourself, why am I doing this? Why am I going to car? Why am I going to climb under barbed wire, jump over fire, throw spears and <laughs> fall off balls and all that other stuff, get muddy? Like, nobody wants to do that, right? So why am I, why did I sign up for this? Is it about, you know, being next to my best friend through his, through a challenge that he really needs somebody to be there for him or for, um, 
You know, whatever your why is, I think if you have a strong enough reason why, it goes back to when you fail an obstacle, it's like, hey, that doesn't make me, but I know that I need to work on that. So now I see where I have an opportunity, but that's what I came here for today. I came to find out where my opportunities were and where I needed to build strength and so on and so forth. Does that make sense? Yeah, uh, that's such an awesome point. And, and the examples you gave with your clients is, one, is just awesome and super motivating for everybody. And that's what we need to think about, I think, where, you know, you might think of the elite guys who are just going out and killing it, you know, and they're, they're not missing anything and they're flying through it. And then you're like, well, I can't do that. But at the same time, if you're overcoming some obstacle that, you know, lupus or, or whatever, uh, cerebral palsy, um, an injury, uh, you're older, whatever it might be, and you're doing it, that's way more impressive than some younger person who has no injuries or no major issues and they can just go do this stuff you know, that's, that's great. And I, I don't want to sound like I'm bashing any of the elite racers out there, but you know, it's incredibly motivating and so cool to see those kinds of racers that are, are overcoming these. And, and sometimes you need to think and look at it's again, not about them. It's about me. And why can't I do this? You know, and, and any reason you start listing is probably an excuse really that you're just afraid maybe, and you haven't found the right way to attack it yet. But, um, just imagine if you did do it, how cool would that sound? Absolutely. Awesome. Let's, uh, uh, another mindset question that I think a lot of people would, would relate to is, so how do we go from, let's say this is my first race and my mindset right now is I really want to do this and I just want to finish and kind of what the next step would be, would be how, how do I get better? Like, how do we switch that on? So, yeah, I think that, um, for a lot of people when they first start racing, um, I tell them, I, I try to identify with them from the beginning, the minute they sign up, what does success look like for you during this race? And for, I think just asking that question might, might be a part, uh, might be the answer to your question, which is, um, what does success look like to you? So for some people just going, like I see Pete and I know, you know what I'm talking about here, Mike, that you'll see, I've seen people that have finished like a, a 10 times trifecta this year or something like that. And like, call it what it is. They're, they're not really, um, they're not like super duper athletes, mm -hmm. um, or like they're people that kind of just walk the course, go out there. Um, they probably fail majority of the obstacles, but they show up for 30 races in a year and just want to have a good time. They love the community. They love the energy of the Spartan race. So for them, it's just going out and having a good time. There's nothing wrong with that. That's totally cool. That's that, that could be a part of your why. And then for some of us that want to continue to progress in our fitness um, or that want to accept that next challenge, so on and so forth, I think that's one of the reasons I love Spartan too with the trifecta idea is it gets people to go from trying something to saying like, okay, that was kind of cool. I, I see what it's about. Now I want to see if I can challenge myself a little bit more to like, okay, I guess I'm going to step up. I'm really going to try that big one. And I think that it kind of has that progression to it almost. Right. Yeah. So I think that you got to identify what success looks like for you. So for a lot of our people, when they first start just getting through the race, seeing what it's about, having fun and finishing, that's that's step one. Step two is you get to choose once you if you identify that, hey, this resonates with me. This is something I think I'd really like to do. And it should, because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you the, uh, the way I feel about it, man, is that um, I've seen some of the most incredible athletes come through this sport that. 
I've met a lot of anaerobic power athletes in my day. I was a football player. Mm -hmm. So I know the guys that can sprint the four three forties and they can uh, vertical hop 48 inches and they can power clean 325 and all these really cool feats, right? But you ask them to run a mile and like it's going to be a 15 minute mile. These guys are going to suffer, right? <laughs> And then yeah. I know the aerobic athletes that can run they run 10 miles before they start a 10 mile run. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? They warm up with 10 miles. Yeah. Um, but then they go to and they're gonna sprint an, a, a, like a nine second 40. Um, they're gonna vertical jump, you know, 10 inches. Like so, these different caliber athletes. Um, respect to both because they're both incredible in their own in their own ways. Um, but what I see with OCR is it's the one, the only sport I've seen so far that hybrids both of those things. And it, you have to be able to ha be an aerobic animal. You have to have some power and some sprint. You have to be able to get, you have to be strong enough to get through the obstacles with your grip strength, your shoulder strength, your leg strength to get up the mountain, so on and so forth. So all those things being said, like this is, this is a sport, man. It's a sport unlike anything I've ever seen. And if you really want to see what your inner athlete's about, I would challenge you to take it to the next step and see how far you can push in this game. That's awesome. And I, I think we'll definitely have to get you back on here and, and get into some of the, the training aspects of this, uh, the physical parts where how we can start attacking some of these, these areas that we want to improve on. Um, but I just want to keep with mindset a little bit. And I, you just made me think of this question when you were talking about, you know, your power athletes and your endurance guys, because, and I'm sure we're all uh, like this, where we want to focus on what we're good at. So if you're a power athlete, you like cleaning and doing power lifting and squatting and sprinting. Um, and if you're a, a marathoner, you are drawn to more of those aerobic activities. But we know if you're going to be successful in these races and you want to see improvements, you gotta, you have to get better at where you're weak. Um, but that's not an easy thing to do. Do you have any tips or strategies that to help you get your mind focused on your weakness and and how you can improve on those things? You know, um, I got a couple ideas for you. Um, hire an SGX coach would be <laughs> one, one suggestion. Real talk. Um, yeah. I believe that coaches matter. A good coach um, will help you do the things you're not going to do on your own. A good coach is going to make do those things. And a good coach is going to make sure that you get the end result out of doing those things. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think getting a coach would be one thing that might help. Um, I think the other thing that I think Ralph Waldo Emerson said is if you do the thing, you shall have the power. So it's embracing your weaknesses, understanding that like, Hey, if I just put the time and effort into shoring up those weaknesses, that eventually they won't be weaknesses anymore. So it's just doing the thing. You just got to get out there and do it. So put it in your calendar, treat it like an appointment for yourself. If you're a runner and you've got to get in the weight room, um, schedule it like you would schedule a run, you know, do it the time you would do a run. If you are an early morning, 4am guy, you get up and you run five miles, get up at 4am and go to the gym and, you know, do five sets of five. Um, if you're a power lifter and I honestly, I think the transition for the, the, the those guys is harder to sprint. <laughs> power athletes to go out and actually like embrace the miles. Um, but it's the same thing. You got to get out there. You got to do the miles. Um, I found that what's neat about this sport is that very rarely are you going to be running miles before you get some strength practice, mm -hmm. right? So you're not going to go out and run 10 miles and then see an obstacle. Yeah. It's normally a quarter mile obstacle, mm -hmm. half mile obstacle, 
maybe a mile in an obstacle. So that being said is I think that you can start slowly by implementing small runs into your strength training sets. So doing things like a 400 meter for your rest break after a bench press set, if you're in the bench press or, um, so on and so forth. Yeah. That that and, and I was just going to say, um, and it's not like you have to give up what you like doing or, or what you are strong at. It's just adding in some of the, the things that you are weaker at and, Sometimes just that, that mindset right there where you're not going to give up what you love. We just have to find a way to add in something that you're not as good at. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, the hybrid for me is the kettlebell. The, the kettlebell is a, is a game changer, man. Um, with the kettlebell, you're going to be able to increase your VO2 max. You're going to increase your grip strength. You're going to get your biggest power diesel engines to fire and function a little bit better, which are your, your, your glutes, right? Use your hips better. Um, the mobility that the kettlebell does is going to help you. Like my runners that I teach kettlebells to, um, are longer lasting runners. They don't suffer the same injuries that runners that don't strength train do. Um, their posture ends up better. And I, I feel like they go longer distance without the soft tissue issues. And I feel that, um, for the strength lifting realm, once you learn how to swing a kettlebell, I mean, I feel like, uh, the demands of your hips are just better. I feel like people move better afterwards. And once you move better, uh, I don't know, kettlebells kind of inspired me just to start moving more. And once I started moving more, I was like, Oh, running is not that bad. Cause it's just a part of movement. Um, and I think I got in shape from swinging a kettlebell, man. I mean, really it changed the cardiovascular game, but I'm still getting a pump. Like I'm lifting weights. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, and I, I mean that—that's one of the huge benefits with kettlebells—is it accomplishes so much, and it's not like I'm doing these three-hour-long workouts to get them all in there, right? We we can just put a circuit together, and you get all of this. You like you said, the grip work, VO2 max improvement, power, strength—it's all in there, which is you know efficient, which is what, exactly what we want. Absolutely. Yeah, and speaking of so, what I was going to mention before with with weaknesses, like when I first learned the Turkish getup. I was pretty much like, forget that, <laughs> because I was really bad at it. And I'm like, man, it, this is just showing where I'm weak, where I'm tight. I don't want to do this. <laughs> but then I you know, made a commitment to myself where it's like, you know what? Just do one rep at the start of every workout, just one rep, you know, and I'm going to start light and, and go from there. And, you know, you do, do things like that so much that now it's like it's not a big deal anymore. Like, I, I don't mind doing Turkish get-ups. And I can't say that I love them, but I definitely like them, at least. So I'll admit that much. <laughs> good, man. And uh, that's a really good exercise to uh, point out, to pinpoint as well, as far as uh, nothing will expose your weaknesses, like a Turkish get-up. Yeah. Um, not only from a mobility standpoint, seeing where you're missing the goods, right, where things just aren't working and moving the way they should be, um, but also on a stability standpoint, Um Kind of connecting your body together is a really neat. Uh, it's a really neat exercise for that. Yeah, and maybe I can twist your arm a little bit and uh, have you put together like a little tutorial on how to do one, or because there's probably some people out there that are listening that have no idea what we're talking about. And uh, one, if you are working with kettlebells, this is where I'd absolutely get a coach because a sure. lot of people will do it wrong. And just start with somebody who'll show you exactly how to do it. Save yourself the injury and wasted time. Um, but if you're, if you're down with it, maybe we can get you to put a short little Turkish get up video. So at least people see what we're talking about. Yeah, for sure. I actually wouldn't mind doing that at all. All right. Awesome. Well, uh, we are running out of time. Um, before I go though, is anything I forgot to ask you or you wanted to mention real quick, uh, before we sign off? Uh, you know, no, I think you covered it all, Mike. I think, um, 
I kind of have a quote that I'd like to end on today that is one of my favorite quotes. Um, so if it's that time, I, I give you a quote. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Um, this is my favorite quote, man. It's uh, something when you come to my gym, you're going to see that my gym's very motivational. We have a like a giant quote wall. It's got all these really cool uh, snippets from like Napoleon Hill and uh, Dale Carnegie and all these incredible authors and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and the one that's resonated with me for the really longest time it talks about discipline. It says discipline is the everyday process of focusing on what you want and striving for it relentlessly until you get it. That's awesome. I think that is the last piece that ties up some of the things we talked about. You've got to know why you want to do what you want to do. You've got to believe that you can do it and you have to have the discipline to see it through until you actually accomplish what it is you want to do. And I think that if you do those three things, and the, the key word in that quote is until, right? Relentlessly until you get it. Not when it gets hard, I stop. Not when it's uncomfortable. I'm like, mm, dude, maybe this wasn't for me. I'm going to keep going until I get the goal, right? And so I think that those three things, man, believe you can, uh, know why you're doing it, and then stick through with it until you get there. And I think if you apply that in anything, the, the principles we teach in the gym they're, they're handy in the gym and they're nice in the gym, but they're not principles for the gym. These success principles aren't just about obstacle racing. This is stuff that if you want that promotion, dude, strive for it relentlessly until you get it. If you want to get that girl, dude, you know, uh, get creative, uh, you know, chaser, like whatever <laughs> it is in life. If you want it, go get it, man. Go get it until you get it. That's awesome, man. And, and everybody listening, this is exactly why you, you find a coach and, and you hire one, especially like Coach Graves here. If you're not motivated right now, I, I don't know what, what you've been listening to. I, I'm gonna, as soon as we're done, I think I'm gonna go lift the gym real quick and uh, <laughs> let's go, baby. Just kill it, yeah. <laughs> so uh, before we go though, um, if people do have questions, wanna reach out to you, find out more about what you guys do, um, where can they go? Yeah, uh, we've got a, we're all over the internet, man. We're on every social media channel. Um, fitnessonfireoc.com, like orangecounty.com. Um, that would probably be the best place to kind of see what we do and get all that information. Um, for me personally, you can find me at coach J graves on Instagram and, uh, again, fitness on fire on YouTube. We've got, uh, we're on Twitter. We're on Snapchat every day, fitness on fire. So any of those channels are good. Um, and you guys can always email me, reach out to me. I'm, I'm free to take questions and help out any way I can. Awesome. And I'll, I'll put a link to pretty much every, everywhere they can find you in, in our show notes so they can just go on there and, and uh, check it all out. But um, Josh, thank you so much for coming on, man. This was awesome today. Absolutely, Mike. Uh, thanks for giving me a platform to share uh, motivation and mindset, brother. Uh, I think you're doing a great thing with your podcast. I've been inspired. I've changed some of my training methods from listening to some of the stuff you and your coaches are talking about. Um, keep it coming, man. All right. Awesome. Thank you so much. Absolutely, my brother. All right, guys, that's going to do it for episode 15 of the Underground SGX show. Thank you so much for tuning in. Again, I wanted to thank Coach Josh Graves for giving us some of his insight into motivation and mindset. Hopefully he gave you a couple great strategies to help out with your training. Uh, If you're having any of that negative self-talk or doubting yourself, you definitely can do this. It's just practicing and, and getting your mind in in the right place. Um, Also wanted to thank Coach Anne LaRue for getting on and sharing her tips on why you should be uh, keeping a a nutrition log and 
If you do want to take her up on her offer, if you go to the show notes for this episode, which again are spartanunderground.com slash episode dash 15, you will see exactly how you can get a hold of, of Coach LaRue. And if you need any nutritional help, you can uh, see if uh, how she might be able to help you out there. And also, final thanks to our new sponsor, Mobilitas. Don't forget about this month's giveaway. If you want to receive a, a cool mobility kit, a couple different mobility tools in there, a great little holiday gift for yourself or, or loved one. And all you have to do to enter is post your favorite mobility exercise on Facebook or Instagram and use, use the hashtag Spartan Underground and you will get an entry into our free giveaway. All right, that's going to do it for this week. Hope you guys love the show and I will see you guys next week with another awesome episode.